With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. This crowd rises to its feet. Picaro slammed it home. Garland left wing, three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane, locked. The only pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media Family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. The losing streak is over. The Cleveland Cavaliers have finally beat the Golden State Warriors. I believe the streak was like 12 games. I didn't even go through the the trouble of learning how many games it was because it was so painful. Many opportunities to end it last year. There, there, there was the game in Golden State where there was the missed moving screen when Klay Thompson took off Okoro's head. Then there was obviously the Ty Jerome game that is haunting us all to this day. But the Cavs beat the full-strength Golden State Warriors, down Isaac Okoro, down uh, Ty Jerome, but with Darius Garland and Jared Allen back in the lineup. And joining me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, buddy. Someone in the YouTube comments recently was like, they always got to get the buddies out of the way. <laughs> and I was like that. I I actually became aware of that because we received a review uh, on the podcast and, and someone made a... a a reference to me always introducing you as buddy. And I was just not aware of it. I, I guess that's the Canadian Tourette's coming out, but I, I guess it, it's a little bit of a tradition at this point. Well, you are my buddy guy. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, thank you very much to, uh, the, the, the Cavaliers faithful in the live chat. Nick Adair picked up my into the West Lord of the Rings reference for the thumbnail. Young Freshy says that we're his favorite podcast for the past two years. What an honor. I Love really do appreciate that. And you know what? We are still early in the season, so I, I guess it's good that we we say this now. Uh, for those that don't stick around to the end of the podcast, if you want to support us and you want to be part of our Discord or whatever, just send us a screenshot of a, a review or leaving us a five-star rating on Spotify, whatever podcast platform you use. Just send us a rating or review uh, to chasedownpod at gmail.com and we'd be more than happy to send you an invite. Uh, when you do that kind of stuff, it really does help uh, podcasts show up in the algorithms and, and uh, helps increase Even our hitting reach. hit that like button on the YouTube. Click that like, click the subscribe. The Cavs got so much great content. There was a new road back uh, recently that you guys want to check out. So make sure that you're subscribed on the YouTube channel as well. But you know what? Right now, Carter, the vibes are good. This is why, you know, I'm... I'm I'm fostering this family atmosphere here with our listeners because we finally beat Positively the Golden State Warriors. Olive Garden-esque. <laughs> it just feels good to beat the damn Warriors. And we'll get into the Pacers' loss as well because I do think that there's important things to talk about from that particular game. But obviously beating the Warriors at home in, you know, a, an end-to-end uh, really solid performance, you know, four great quarters, you know, the Warriors were going to make their runs, but uh, for the Cavs to come out with as stout of a defensive performance as they had in that game, down Isaac Okoro, uh, guys like Karis LeVert really stepping up uh, with the defense on Steph Curry, I thought Max Struess really stepped up, it, it was just a great performance all around. Can I tell you what I really liked about that win, and it's probably my favorite game of the Cavaliers season so far if not just because it was a very chill win. Um, you know, I feel like every game thus far is at some point or another, the Cavs have had a stretch where things have gone amiss and either a lead they had has collapsed to nothing or uh, or they fell down 10 and had to claw their way back and you're just kind of constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was, I think, the first end-to-end workmanlike win of the Cavaliers' season and I think that is the kind of win that the team needs to chain together because even though it was workmanlike, it that doesn't mean that everything went great. The Warriors shot very, very well from three. The Cavs continued to shoot pretty poorly from three. I think they were at twenty nine percent, including Darius Garland, who is having a pretty pretty rough shooting season to start eight, the year. Eight percent uh, from from three for the year. You know why eight percent is a particularly sad number is because. When you're doing fast math, that you know it means it's on a sample of more than ten shots. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so it was a it was, you know it wasn't like you know Struess continued to kind of be a little down from three, and yeah. like I think 
when you're able to win games like that, where uh, where things aren't going awesome for you on either end of the floor, um, or you know, un- unreasonably awesome for you on other ends of the floor, that's like a, as true of a win as you're gonna find. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that is that that's worth celebrating and worth being excited about. Yeah, I, and the other thing that stood out to me is you know Mobley getting two fouls really early in this game. You know, the first three minutes of the game. It reminded me of the playoff loss against the Knicks in game four, where Garland got them back into the game in the third quarter, and then Mobley had foul trouble. And in that stretch, the Cavs lost that game. Like, they probably could have evened that series up at Madison Square Garden had that Mobley foul trouble not occurred. And for you to already be down your best point of attack defender in Isaac Okoro, for Evan Mobley to exit that game, and you go, all right, you know what? Tristan Thompson's going to come in here, uh, bouncing back from a a tough performance uh, against Indiana in limited minutes, but, you know, the minutes weren't great when he was out there. Um, We're going to have Max Struess really step up and give great defensive effort. We're going to have uh, Karis LeVert step up and give great defensive effort. Uh, George Niang, you know, um, battling on the boards, helping out in, in other ways. Like, it really was a team effort, and it goes to show how much more depth is here. Because as frustrating as this early season sample has been, like the fact that they're in a lot of these games, like this was a stretch we thought was going to be tough with all of our horses. And we were still competitive in a lot of these games. We can still look back at some of these games and say, man, we could have stole that even with the guys we were missing. So having that depth now and and even with two key pieces being out, it's just a more manageable number of personnel that we have. And there's so much more depth to survive these little stretches where, all right, so-and-so isn't shooting well or, or someone got in foul trouble. There's other options to go to. And that just wasn't there last season. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of last season going into this season, I am uh, pleased to inform that once again, it kind of feels like the Evan Mobley, Jared Allen pairing is the identity of the team. They they can't run from it. They can't get away from it. Uh, the way that they defend with both of them on the floor, I know the Pacers game did not go the way we wanted. And I will admit I'm a little uh, skewed on my sample because I was only able to watch the second half of that game where the Cavs were playing much better. Yeah. But uh, but the just the ability to pass guys off uh, the ability for Mobley to go be a switch defender because he's got Jarrett lurking there. Uh, the way that they are uh, able to help each other. Um, they are just so cool together on the defensive end of the floor. And against Golden State, you know, they, they were they're a small team. And they played Looney off the floor very quickly. Only played 15 minutes in that game. And then they mashed the Warriors on the boards the rest of the game. Mobley had 16 boards. Jarrett had nine. They combined for 10 offensive rebounds. Like that size is supposed to, if that size is going to be the identity of your team on the defensive end, on the offensive end, you kind of need to mash teams when they're smaller. And I thought they did a really good job of that against the Warriors and, you know, to a lesser extent against the Pacers, but you still see like the core of who and what they are when those two are out there together. And it just makes watching the Cavs on defense more fun. I, I, I don't know how to quantify that. Obviously the numbers are better when they're out there, but it just kind of turns that end of the floor from something to survive on, which like that is for most teams in this ridiculously high powered league. It takes it from something to survive in to something where the team can thrive in and start kind of like dominating the game on that end of the floor. And it's really, really fun. Yeah. And it was funny because uh, this game against the Warriors was a national broadcast up here in Canada. And the, the feed that we got was the Warriors feed. And, you know, uh, that's a broadcast that has a reputation, but they were incredibly complimentary of the Cavs throughout the whole thing. And they're like, uh, especially when it came to like the Warriors ability to finish at the rim, they're like, this is normally like you beat your first man and you normally get a good look at the rim. And the fact that you have Evan Mobley, who's able to defend in space, Jared Allen, that's able to defend in space. Um, they were incredibly complimentary of the Cavs offseason moves and basically being like, hey, you know, people talk about Boston and Milwaukee, but Cleveland's right there. Like that was a four seed that added pieces that make a lot of sense. And um, I, I do feel like it It honestly might be a good thing for the long run. Like assuming that they can stay healthy from here on out, that Jared Allen missed these first few games of the season, because that's a guy that caught a lot of shit in the offseason. And for him to kind of come back and automatically, it looks like they waited the appropriate amount of time. 
Uh, he looks healthy and spry out there. You know, he's still just playing just under 25 minutes per game, but he looks explosive out there. Like he he does so many things on both ends of the court and uh, you see it, right? Like um, when you're looking at the on-off data, he's plus 12.2 with him on the court compared to when he's off the court. And that difference is all on the offensive end. Like he just opens so many things up as a screener. He He's so good at uh, pressuring the rim. And I really feel like Evan Mobley is able to be more patient offensively w- when he's out there with Jared Allen. And, you know, he also they gives were... Donnie easier reads. Yeah, it gives him easier reads. And even though, you know, the spacing is going to be a little more cramped when it's those two compared to four out al- alongside one big, that was a great offensive lineup last year. It's already a great offensive lineup in the small sample size. And they were always able to generate good looks because they work so well together, right? Like when you have, uh, when the opponent sends two to the ball for Donovan Mitchell and he's, you know, Mobley's there as the outlet, you got Allen running a a short action baseline and they have that two man game, uh, the big to big passing that they're so great at. Like there's so many options for the season. It was so nice. Oh, it felt great to have them together. So for Jared Allen to to come back, you know, shooting 69% from the floor, which is really nice to see. And putting up good um, points, rebounds, assists, getting a block already. It's its just really comforting to have him back. I, I miss Jared. Yeah, I was. I did want to check, uh, you know, very quickly check to see. Because it felt like Donovan's playmaking has taken a little uh, bump since Jared's been back. And that's correct. He had six, five, three, and four assists. First four games of the season. 16 the last two games of the season. Nine against Indy and seven against Golden State. So I feel like... Again, he's a guy who does his best when the read is kind of right there. And Allen, I think, is just the best target on the team. You mm-hmm. know, he makes himself very, very uh, present. He sets the best screens on the team, though. Tristan might have a word at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think and, instinctively uh, we want to say Allen, and he sets a great screen, but Tristan <laughs> is a master. He, he's got he's, he's got more mass too. He's he's yeah, throwing he's, around he's a, a lot mass. Of yeah, sure. uh, and uh, yeah. So it's it's just really nice having Jarrett back. I just feel like in so many ways, you know, uh, for for I just feel like the first four games of the year really were a case study for if you're someone who doesn't think he needs to be part of the team's future. Mm-hmm. Like I, I understand why you might hold that opinion, that opinion, but the Cavs sure haven't figured out a way to be better without him than they are with him. Yeah, and you know this goes back to conversations we had back in the day with Colin Sexton as the shooting guard, where we're like, okay, he may work better as a six man, but someone's got to actually like you know step up and and take that job. I feel the same way when it comes to this big man partnership, because when they continue to be better together offensively and defensively, both as a team and individually, when they're out there together, I feel great about it. And the funny thing is I saw highlights after the indie game where, you know, Mobley had a better game. I thought that was his best performance of the year. Actually. I thought like his defense looked like out of this world. Good. And, and I would encourage you, Carter, if you didn't watch the first half to, to go back and at least watch some of those highlights. Cause it's just absurd. Um, but people posted the highlights and they're like, look how much better Mobley looks, uh, at power forward. And a lot of those highlights were him as the only big on the court. Like some of them came that. with Jared Allen, <laughs> but you know, I, I just feel like I didn't he, want to dunk on anyone, but I did see that. Yeah. <laughs> it was I was like, like the you first four plays. <laughs> <laughs> like it's worth pointing out. And and I'm someone obviously that, that, you know, is firmly pushing the Evan Mobley as a power forward agenda. But I just think like when he's playing with Jared Allen, he just has a better flow and understanding like I I feel like his progressions and his reads are so much better and he's more patient on the offensive end and that can translate to the minutes when he is at center right and he's going up against backup fives a lot of times in those minutes and that's a more advantageous spot for him but especially when he's at power forward and he's finishing over some of these smaller guys he can be very productive offensively and I, I think that's why you see you know, his field goal percentage up to 57% in these games, um, only playing 32 minutes a night, which is one of the other great things about that went over the Warriors is nobody played huge minutes. Like the, the Cavs are playing a deep rotation, even against this tougher competition, even with key guys out of the lineup. So that's all really encouraging to see. But I, I just feel like he's more balanced. And even though he hasn't added a lot to his game when it comes to scoring the basketball, 
his passing, his rebounding, his defense overall. Like there's so much growth in these other areas that it makes up for that. And I, I think we'll we'll see the increased aggressiveness he's shown offensively lead to development of that offensive game throughout the season, like we saw last year. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely fair to say. So I yeah, I've I've just it felt like just such a nice complete win, you know. And I, I like that you brought up the rotation because uh, really, with the exception of Max Truce, who, whew, man, is playing a lot of minutes so far this season. I think he's yeah. averaged around 36. Uh, and he was the minutes leader against Golden State. Uh, but, you know, I just feel like you want these guys to have their legs at the end of games, and you want to have them to have their legs down the stretch. And I know it's one of those things where the data doesn't support how I feel. Because I remember last year, I was angsting about how many minutes all our best players were playing. You you came with receipts you checked and you know like almost every team had like one or two guys at like 37 38 minutes a game but like i still wanted to see it lower it's like i had the information in front of me and it still was kind of angsting me especially since all four guys were up there Mm -hmm. uh in the core four and so it's kind of nice to see like hey we have niang who's going to play 35 and or 25 and Wade, who's going to add another 13. So that's 38 minutes at the three and the four uh, that, that you can kind of split up and the, and Tristan can buy 11 minutes of rest and Lavert obviously is good for 30 good minutes. So it's just a lot easier to get to a night where Donovan only plays 32 to 34 minutes where Darius only plays 30, you know, while that hamstring is still uh, in my opinion, recovering as far as, you know, uh, you don't actually know, but playing a little armchair doctor here, um well yeah uh, i mean at the very under least, 30 have... jared under 30 it's just that's what you like to see yeah i, I mean with, with darius I, I think it's fair to say that's a factor because he missed a week of preseason played one game and then you know hamstring injury isn't something that you're out there doing a lot of cardio you're you're not going to have your legs under you and um i i think one thing we're seeing too is like all of these guys are really playing hard defensively like Darius is working really hard defensively. Max, I, I think, is exerting a lot of energy on that end and a lot of energy to be a primary ball handler when we had no point guard, right? Like it was basically him and Mitchell. And that's going to take a little bit out of your legs when it comes to three-point shooting. And uh, for Darius, like he didn't dunk the breakaway. Like that, that is... A, I, I a, noticed that. That felt like a... Uh, I'm still working. <laughs> yeah, and and he went up with two hands. You could tell he was going to, and then he's like, "I do not have that first uh, no, so I'm just, way there." I'm just going to volley that up, and and most then, relatable you know, moment, you know. Yeah, <laughs> who amongst us? But I I think that right there is a clear sign that his legs aren't all the way there. But you know, to his credit, he really was attacking. Um, we were joking about this a little bit in the Discord today, but I was saying that it was honest grifting, where you know he's drawing the foul, he's doing the kind of things to initiate the contact, but the ball still touches the rim. He's still making an honest attempt to make the basket, and therefore it is honest foul baiting. Uh, and, and I will fight anyone to the death for that. But you know, seeing him be aggressive in those ways, still taking it to the rack, finding ways to be efficient, even though the three ball is not there. That's that's what we wanted to see, right? Like if the Cavs were going to become a high volume three point team, they still needed to have that rim pressure. They still needed to have other ways that they could, you know, beat a team as good as the Warriors, even when the three ball isn't falling. Yeah, and I wanted to talk a little bit about Darius because in the pre preseason before uh, things got kicked off, we talked about the fact that he was a guy who had spent a lot of time in the gym and or you know lifting, really working on his body, uh, taking the learnings from that first playoff series and applying them. And I think sometimes we think of strength very kind of like from an orthodox perspective, where it's like how well you move people. You know, how how hard it how well you stand up to post ups and stuff like that. And we don't talk about it in terms of what doesn't happen. And I think we saw some impacts of Darius's work on his body and some of his rim attacks in that game where he was getting hit, but instead of flying backwards or falling onto the ground, he was staying upright, staying on balance, and it makes it a lot easier to finish some of those shots mm-hmm. or draw some of those fouls. Yeah. It when, makes when it more you, evident when your body to the official, stays right? in the play. Yeah. So, like, I think that's kind of what I would give, you know, a, a lot of credit to is, like, that's where you're starting to see it for for uh, for the first time. And I was really, really impressed by the way that his body was, you know, kind of the work is showing in, in ways that you might not expect otherwise. Yeah. And, you know, 
I, I think it, you can see the impact that he has on the offense already. Like um, the Cavs, when, when Darius was out, they were averaging 12.8 wide open threes. So with a defender at least six feet away from them, since he's come back, they're getting over 18 of those looks. That's that's a big time difference maker. And um, even though Darius is shooting 18% from three, he's only 2% league average when it comes to his true shooting percentage and would actually be a career best. Uh, for him outside of the last two years because of his ability to get to the line and knock down those free throws. So he's making up for that. And there's a lot of regression that's going to happen when it comes to the Cavs three-point shootings because guys are going to start getting better looks. Um, There's less of a burden for them to create offensively because you do have such talented creators out there. uh, And you have someone like Jared Allen that's going to be able to free you up uh, in the pick and roll game, right? And give you a more clear path into the lane. So there's so many reasons for optimism when it comes to, okay, this offense can still level up. They're not shooting particularly well, even though it's good shooters getting these looks. That's all stuff that you would expect to, to shift uh, as they get more comfortable and as they get more time together. Pop quiz. How many Cleveland Cavaliers are shooting 35% from three or better? I'm going to guess three. Isaac uh, Okoro, the, the Donovan real Mitchell. And- yep, yep. And ba, 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 Dean Wade, correct. Oh, Sam, yeah! Mer- Sam Merrill is also at forty percent, but that's I'm not counting that one because he's not in the regular rotation. But yeah, everyone else, uh, you know, below league average right now. And I don't think that I, if you think George Niang, Darius Garland, Max Truce, Ty Jerome, who by the way hasn't even hit a three yet, uh, are going to be sub 30% three-point shooters, which all three are, then, well, I guess the Cavs' offense might be in trouble. But, you know, that's why you it's nice to win some games on the backs of your defense while you're trying to figure things out. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and that Indiana game was frustrating. Um, I think, you know, some of it can be attributed to, okay, this is their, their first time playing together when, when it came to, you know, that starting unit. There was miscommunications. Uh, one play that really jumped out to me in particular was Miles Turner uh, caught it right at the top of the three-point arc. And Mobley and Allen were both there, but they both left Turner to kind of go to the role man. Like, they weren't sure who was supposed to take that assignment, and, and Turner got a wide-open look. And really, like, Indiana, in that game, Nothing was really outrageous when it came to their three-point shooting except for Miles Turner, and they left them wide open all of those times. Like him going four or five from three, that sucked. But, you know, Buddy Heald, four or seven, that's normal. Like he, he does Buddy that. Buddy Heald is, so, is such a Cavs killer. He, he's like a, a top five shooter all time. So, yeah, he's going to go do that. Halliburton was 0 of 5. They, like they, they I'm didn't kind sh- of interested. This is a, a, a side that services nobody, but here we are. I'm kind of interested to see if Buddy Heald gets traded to a contender. I know he didn't want to, ex- you know, the reports are that he was a uh, a, a potential trade candidate because he couldn't come to terms on new uh, new deal in Indy. And just wonder what he looks like on a really good team. It just kind of hasn't happened for him yet. And I just, you kind of look back at the the potential Buddy trade to uh, to the Lakers that ended up getting kiboshed in favor of the Russ trade. Um, and it's just kind of interesting. I feel like he's had a weird career for one of the best shooters to ever lace him up to just not have been on a good team yet. Well, you know, Buddy's obviously auditioning for other teams, just like you are apparently auditioning for a different network because you <laughs> disrupted analysis for transaction talk. <laughs> not good transaction Lord. talk. That's really just Buddy Heald talk. Come on. That's, Don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. transaction talk with Buddy Heald being adjacent. Oh, my gosh. That's that's terrible. That's terrible. That's slander. That no, that that's exactly what you just did. And I wasn't gonna let you off the hook for that. But yeah. Couldn't agree it, less. I do not own that. Yeah. So the, the Cavs had, you know, first half lapses. Uh Indiana uh hit their shots early, got out to that 17 point lead. And the thing about, you know, going down 17 is you ex- you use up so much energy coming back from that, you often see teams don't end up closing out those spots. And there was certainly a, a bunch of mistakes there, but like when you look at, okay, the, the turnover from Darius Garland, like I, I think you're, you're seeing some of these late game turnovers. And to me, it screams a guy that, you know, doesn't have his legs yet, doesn't have his conditioning up because when you are tired, like this goes back to, I remember being told this back when I was playing like when you're tired, 
you stop moving your feet and you make lazy mistakes. And I, I think he's made some lazy passes in those spots and, and ones that he'd like to have back. Uh, the Mobley full court one, like there was a lot of things that went wrong in that game. But if the Cavs played four quarters of their game and, and didn't have those early lapses, that's a game that they win. That's a that's a game where, you know, all those other factors, everything that we put under the microscope wouldn't have come into play if they didn't go down 17 points. So one of the things that I'm looking at, as much as I'm encouraged by, you know, some of the signs that say, okay, the Cavs are on the verge of turning this thing around. I want to see them start well, because their starting lineup is consistently great. And this is a team that, you know, they've had great third quarters, uh, good halftime adjustments and all that. This is a, usually a team that starts really strong. And if you're starting strong as the Cavs and you're building a lead, they are such a hard team to come back against for 48 minutes because the defensive effort is so consistent. They have so many high-level guys there and they have guys that can go out there and score offensively. So I, I really do feel like hot starts and you know really making the most of those opening minutes is a big key for them. Yeah, much like my favorite football team, the Dallas Cowboys, like both teams are kind of built to play with a lead, you know? Yeah. Uh like when the defense can can just kind of start slowly strangling the life out of a team that needs to start pressing. And like that's that's the dream for for kind of both those teams. So uh I, I totally agree. And mostly I've been pretty okay with the defense. You know, I think the numbers have gone up and down. Mm -hmm. I think the focus has gone up and down. Uh, one shout out I did want to give was I thought Struess played a really nice defensive game against Golden State. Yeah, there were a lot of times where he's getting switched out onto Curry and you know not locking him down by any means, but certainly funneling him into the help really well. Uh, and I just don't think I don't think the Warriors had too many easy ones. No, they they didn't, and um, that was something that I was tracking, and, and we'll get into that a, a little bit later, but. Yeah, you know, Curry's the second leading scorer in the NBA behind our guy, Donovan Mitchell. Duani! And, you know, like, he didn't go off in, in a game where he easily could have, uh, especially without Isaac Okoro out there to, to throw on him. And this is the type of matchup that we were really curious about, what they do defensively when Okoro isn't out there in the starting lineup. How are they going to defend the point of attack? Are they going to be able to, you know, go with Garland straight up in certain matchups? Or are they going to use through in others like that's going to be a, a really important thing to, to keep an eye on and i just thought that the defensive effort overall was just at such a high level and uh I, I see someone in the chat mentioning this now but the warriors uh look like they're about to lose to the pistons and you know that is one of the the things that when we look at you know when you're a west coast team and you go on an eastern conference road trip or you're an east coast team going on a west trip these three games in four nights and, and just the long, long trips without being home, it just has such a effect on the legs and, and your ability to go out there and perform. And that's why it's so important to start these trips really well. And uh, obviously that's going to be a, a major point of emphasis later in the podcast when we talk about uh, the Cavs matchup against OKC. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Justin. You know, when, when these teams are on these road trips, when they, when they're, when they're, you know, they're tired, they're missing their families, you know, sometimes you kind of have to recreate some of the situations at home that kind of get you in rhythm. And one of the ways you can do that is you can call your family on Zoom. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom. A single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. Boom! <laughs> Carter, come on, man! I, I, you telegraphed that the whole way. You were smiling through it. It just, oh, so oh my goodness, that, that, that was, that was well done. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for that. We should Thanks, probably buddy. talk about Donovan Mitchell because he has been playing out of his damn mind early in the season. Uh, as I mentioned, he is leading the league in scoring, and I've been so impressed with his defensive effort early this season. And you know, th that's one of the things you hope for is. You know, there is more depth on this team. The, the playmaking burden is shared. Um, he doesn't have to go out and score uh, an insane amount every single night. Now, some of that's been thrown a little screwy by the, the, like, the number of people that have been out of the lineup. But the fact that he's contributing so much on that end uh, already 
shows his buy-in, right? Like th- this is a guy that that's been completely invested, that that's battling hard, even with things not going well. He he's giving effort on both ends of the court, and I think Donovan Mitchell deserves a lot of credit for helping the Cavs kind of weather this storm early on. Yeah, well, going into the year, we talked a lot about what a potential regression season might look for Donovan because he shot so unseasonably well from three last year that you kind of wonder, like, okay. Maybe all the the in between stuff, the stuff he can consistently control, is great. Maybe the maybe the pull up three point shooting drops off. Nope, on pace to he's at forty and a half percent right now. Yes, which would be his career percentage at sixty seven percent. It's absurd. Yeah, yeah, like that would be his career high by a couple percentage points. That, um, that's going to come down. Like if that doesn't yeah, come down, he's going to win MVP. <laughs> yeah, of course it's going to come down. But I'm just saying, if there has been a regression, regression hasn't happened yet. In fact. He's kind of up across the board. Uh, he's averaging five and a half, five and a half per assists, which is 1.3 more than last year. He's averaging 2.3 steals, which is 0.8 more than last year. His turnovers are a little up, but not consistently above his, his career standards. The finishing around the rim, just as good, uh, if not better. The rebounding is slightly improved. Like He's been doing it all for this team so far. Yeah, and that's what it's going to take, right? Like If you're going to find the balance between these lineups where, okay, Max Struess is in the starting lineup. You have three knockdown shooters around uh, your two mobile big men that are, that are good passers for the position. We are gambling that that's going to be enough on the defensive end, and we're going to be able to juice the offense of the, those lineups. And that means Darius, Max, and Donovan all have to be completely bought in on the defensive end and giving effort. And we've seen that from all three of them. They are playing really hard defensively they're doing a good job funneling guys to help especially with both of them out there like the early I, I barely want to get into like the early season numbers when it comes to that lineup but the funny thing is with how many different lineups the Cavs have had to use with the availability that they've had the 22 minutes that starting five has played together is their second most used five-man lineup this year. Whoa. The only one that has more has only played 24 minutes. So they're going to pass that in this opening stretch against OKC and be the most used lineup. They have a plus 19.1 rating overall and 100 defensive rating. Like, again, this is a lineup that's great on both ends of the court like you expected. It's obviously going to get tested at times, and it'll be interesting to see how they play against teams that have multiple creators and that are really able to, you know, put pressure on the point of attack. But that backline defense is so helpful. And I, I just, I'm really encouraged by, by what I'm seeing from the effort levels there. And I'm, I'm encouraged seeing, you know, Jared Allen moving around as well as he is like there, there's no like ill effects that make you go, Oh, maybe this is a little early or anything like that. Like and again, nothing, nothing has been so exceptional other than Donovan that makes you go, Oh, well that's going to come back to earth. You know, it's not really been that it's it, it. Donovan really is the one true, you know, quote, quote unquote, unset uh, exceptional part of this calf season so far real quick before we move off of him. I did want to note right now, obviously we're only six games in, uh, and most of this will not hold. So uh, disclaimer applied. Donovan is averaging career highs in points, steals, blocks, assists, rebounds, uh, offensive rebounds, free throw percentage, three point percentage, two point percentage and field goal attempts. I mean, that's the it, thing. It's like, been a very good start. <laughs> when, whenever these Donovan conversations come up, I'm always like, it is just such a good context for him. It's such a good situation for him. And he's such a good player that, like, I just, I don't worry about it. I don't think about it. Like, he, he's just so damn good in these lineups. And uh, you, you're right. Like, the, the fact that he has been so exceptional and the lineup's been so exceptional with nobody else, like, all these proven shooters, especially, you know, Darius and Struess, you know, Struess a 37% career three-point shooter. Garland's up there as well. Like, that's going to come along. Those guys are going to start hitting those shots. Life's going to be made easier for everybody else, and you're going to get better. Like, I mentioned it before, but 12.8 wide-open threes per game uh, in the time that Darius was out. They took 16 of those late contests. So NBA.com still classifies them as open but it's with a defender within four to six feet. I usually call that a late contest. I know there's other film people that, that do the same kind of stuff. But since Garland came back, there's only 11 of those late contests. 
and they've shifted over entirely to those wide open looks, getting those 18 wide open looks per game. And the Cavs are only shooting 30.6% on those looks. So that's shooting regression that's going to come. They're going to start, you know, hitting those shots and capitalizing on those open looks. But the fact that they're getting those looks and they're finding ways to win even without those dropping, that's what we want to see because there was always that concern of, okay, do they go too far in the other direction where they're just taking threes like last year's Boston and they don't really have a plan B when they don't drop? They do this time around. Yeah, I, I'm just really enjoying uh, kind of the process. And, you know, it's certainly colored by, um, you know, two wins in the last three games, um, which, boy, were they needed. I yeah. mean, talk about, like, if they don't steal that Knicks game, I think no matter how the Warriors game goes, we're just feeling a lot worse about two and five, you know? Yeah. But, but like, that's kind of how the early stretch kind of goes, you know, uh, you just need to maintain contact. You can't fall too far back. Um, and they had some bad luck to start the year, but you know, this is another spot where like, they're as good as we think thought they were to start the year. Then they probably should outperform a little bit on this West coast trip coming up where, you know, it's, it's three really, really tough games and, you know, one game against Portland. Um, but it's in Portland. Don't you, don't you young Cavs fans forget that is where Cavs seasons bottom out every year. It's and always the worst place. Portland's so, been getting a couple wins lately. I, I know yeah. they're, they're short guys, but they, they're, they're going out there and winning, uh, dominating looks like he's playing well. And like, so okay. I will always fear an at Portland game, no matter how their season is going. So yeah, there, there's, is, there's it, trauma it, with that city w- without a doubt. Yeah. So if they, if they come out and perform, uh, and maybe outperform kind of like the Vegas lines and all that fun stuff and come out of this with a winning road trip, then all of a sudden you're feeling really good. You kind of you basically day traded your uh, your your home, three home losses to start the year with a few road wins. Um, yeah. And this was a team who famously could not win on the road last year. So I, I I'll be interested to hear, to see if a a year of seasoning, some better shooting, can get them to a better road record this year. Because if you recall, I think they were like second or third in net rating on the road. The results just weren't following. So. That's the kind of thing where if you have the seasoning, you really should be performing a lot better in that context. Yeah, and I, I really do hope that uh, all the fellas are out there taking their vitamin C and whatnot because I, I feel like there was always a flu that was running through the team every time they went on a West Coast trip. Like that, that, <laughs> The most that, flu-ridden team in the league last year, it must be said. It, it had to have been. It, you know, it might be just a case of we just pay attention to the Cavs so much more than every other team, but it, it definitely felt like it, it hit on all of those trips. And I'm keeping an eye on, on how Garland's playing because um, – I think in the Indiana game, like the comeback in the third quarter, a lot of that was fueled by him being really assertive. I thought he had his best stretch of the game where, all right, he, he's finishing at the rim. He, he's getting guys involved. He, he's creating up opportunities, uh, really helped power uh, the, the win against the Warriors w- with getting to the line and uh, the assist that he was getting. And they often go as, as he goes. And when Garland is being assertive, when, when he is attacking out there, that makes everything easier for Mitchell and makes it easier for the base. It makes it easier for Strew. So that's always been the thing that I, I keep an eye on. And, you know, I mentioned before, I think some of the turnovers are, are can be attributed to rust and, and fatigue and, and not having your legs, like the kind of careless mishandling of the ball and whatnot. Like that's the kind of stuff you don't really expect to see from Darius Garland. But I do think that, you know, managing the ball late in games is an area of growth for him potentially um, because, his assist uh, to turnover ratio does decrease as the game goes along. Like he he starts off really high. And I I think in late games, sometimes he can make those careless turnovers that can be costly. And I'm just interested to see with the team playing with more pace, you expect more turnovers, but I also expect, you know, the defense to be a little more destabilized. And I, I think that's going to make those passing reads easier for him. And I'm interested to see how he kind of navigates those waters. Absolutely, and I I think you've kind of inadvertently set me up for a a slightly different conversation point, which has been a very, very positive, fun podcast. Now it's time to angst watch. I need to get like an audio drop for angst watch, but I I do think you bringing up that late game turnover 
uh, against Andy, which I would assume is the one you're pointing to. Yeah. Um, I am keeping an eye, Justin, on how committed this team is to its new pace and execution identity and winning time. Yeah. There has been quite a bit of slow it down, iso ball possessions where, you know, the offense is being broken to just kind of go attack. Um, from, from most, I would say mostly from Donovan, though obviously the team's been short. A lot of their other options, and it's hard to run. All the caveats there, yep. but it's worth noting. And then, you know, you have that game down the stretch where against Indy where they're they are executing, and the Cavs are not. Yep. Um, uh, and the Cavs are doing ter- careless turnovers and uh, putting putting the ball back in Indy's hands when it when it's time uh, to to kind of lock down and close out the game. You know, they go up four. JB calls the timeout. All of a sudden, they're down six. Yeah, and uh, those are the things I think you just got to keep an eye on. Like, I don't think they were as bad of a clutch team as other people seem to think they were last year. But like, oh, there remember were the bad... numbers, Carter? The the, yeah. the, the clutch home road numbers. splits were really really nuts. They, they were a phenomenal clutch team last year when they were in Cleveland and on the road. That was the complete opposite. Like, they got a yep. couple late in the season. The, the one against Miami w- was great, but yeah, like that's that was the thing that we mentioned in preseason too, where we're like, Hey, it's great. They're playing with pace. It's great that they're getting up threes, but what happens when things don't go their way? What happens when, you know, it's late in the game and you're only up two possessions. Do you all of a sudden start milking the clock or do you still run your offense? And against Indiana, like the fourth quarter offense was basically Darius Garland brings the ball up the court. He gives the ball up to either, you know, Max Drews, Karis LeVert or Donovan Mitchell and then he would go off and stand on the side. And I, I would attribute a lot of that to, you know, being gassed. But he still needs to be the one initiating the offense because when it's Garland initiating the offense, it makes it a whole lot more difficult for teams to send two to the ball with Donovan. It makes, as I said, it makes everybody's life easier. And you want to see them still maintain pace. And that first half against Indiana might be good for your sanity that you didn't watch it but honestly the entire thing devolved into like isolation ball and two-man games a lot of standing around and it was basically things aren't working so therefore you know like i'm going to try to bail us out and and that happened with darius happened with donovan happened with basically everybody it was contagious then they came out after halftime and the ball started moving they started running the offense they started playing with pace and they got back into that game and I think, you know, they used up a ton of energy. Um, I didn't really understand the, the JB timeout with, with six minutes. Friend of the podcast, Tony Pesta, did point out uh, that uh, Steve Spiro came up to JB and talked to him right before that timeout. So maybe there was, you know, whether it's minute restrictions or, or trying to get guys arrest, wh- whatever the case may be, that might have been a factor. Um, but, you know, nothing that happens uh, with six minutes to go and up four points dictates the game, right? Like what they did down the stretch, um, you know, is independent of that. Um, obviously, uh, they got a good look with, with Karis LeVert at the end of that game. I probably would have gone with, with Max in, in that situation. You know, obviously Donovan's going to get doubled. Darius didn't have his legs. Um, Karis is a good passer. I, I just feel more confident in Max hitting that shot on the move. I think that was the second read of that inbound play. The first was to Darius under the, the basket. Um, but, you know, that's that's picking nets, right? Like if the Cavs started earlier in that game and they didn't have to use up so much energy, I think it impacts the, the end of that game. And what it's really going to come down to with Cleveland is consistency. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's just it's just a little trend watch. It's not it's not anything too serious yet. I'm not I'm not making declarative statements, but. I do want to see what this team does when they're under duress. Cause I think that really is a test of your belief systems. In yeah. the end. And, and I think it's an opportunity for, for Darius to, you know, one of those small things in the margins where if he improves in that spot, he's going to be even better. Like I, sometimes I, I feel like, and you know, this is responding to Twitter noise, which I, I absolutely hate doing, but I'm, I'm going to do it twice in this podcast. But, you know, people kind of talk about him like, like he's a high turnover player, which could not be further from the truth. Um, if you look at players that have a usage rate over 25%, he was fourth in assisted turnover ratio. Only Jalen Brunson, Jamal Murray, and Jokic uh, had a better assisted turnover ratio uh, out of players with over 25% usage. 
If you add in the assist percentage, because obviously Brunson and Jamal Murray are kind of lower assist guys compared to Garland. If you hit, I was add, about to say Brunson achieves that by not passing. Yeah, and same goes for Jamal Murray. He's under five assists per game. So if you add the assist percentage over thirty percent, um, he's only he's second uh, behind Jokic, and, and you know Jokic is the best in the league. There's only twelve players in the entire NBA that have a usage over twenty five percent and an assist percentage over thirty percent. Garland, as I said, is second. Uh, the the players behind him are Trey Young, John Morant, Lamelo Ball, Luca, Dame. John Wall, Russell Westbrook, LeBron, Cade, and Giannis. And that's the order. Like, Garland is in really, really high high company when, when you talk about players that turn the ball, get that many assists with that few turnovers, with that amount of responsibility on their shoulders. But I do think it's worth noting, when you filter it by fourth quarter only, so this is fourth quarter usage and assisted turnover percentage, there's still only 12 players that come into that category. But Garland's ninth in assisted turnover uh, ratio. He's behind Halliburton, who doesn't have that high of a usage in the rest of the game, but his assisted turnover percentage in or, or ratio so good. in the fourth quarter is like five. It's so far ahead of the did, rest did of the you, league. Did you see his third quarter the other night where he had like 24 and eight? <laughs> Unbelievable. He, he's, he's so, so good. good. <laughs> he's so good. Um, league is ridiculous, man. So the players he's behind, Halliburton, Jamal Murray, Jokic, Harden, Jaw, LeBron, Trey, and Luka, and he's ahead of Curry, Dame, and Giannis when it comes to, you know, fourth quarter assisted turnover ratio. So there, there's few guys, he's still averaging over two in those spots, but, you know, that's one of those small things where you're tired, understand the decisions that you can make in that spot, you know, don't throw that cross-court pass. Uh, just be a little more responsible with the ball. And I really do feel like maintaining pace in those situations and getting into uh, it early in the shot clock is going to help prevent him make kind of those congested passes in, in traffic and, and whatnot. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely fair. And uh, I'm just, Darius, I'm just not super interested in analyzing much beyond like kind of the rough things that I'm seeing. I think the numbers are all going to be skewed while he plays his way back up because yeah. it, it's clear that that hammy was affecting him you know yeah. uh it held him out of the last preseason game and you wondered if that was one of those pure abundance of caution things because he was feeling a little tight and it doesn't seem to have been that i mean he the fact that he played the first game then missed a, uh the next three kind of tells you that there's a real problem and when it's a real problem it takes a minute to work your way back yep and, and that's why you know i used last season stats when it came to that because you know I don't think there's a whole lot you can read uh, into this year. I, I think the you were really smart to to point out the differences added strength is making, uh, getting to the rim. Uh, I think you're seeing it on, on defense as well. Uh, he's really contributing there. But yeah, it, it's it's clear that he's not yet himself, and that's an exciting proposition because we know what a difference he makes. Like uh, he, he's still out there. The the on off uh, splits are still dramatically in his favor because he's someone that has evolved his game to the point where even when he's not shooting it well he's able to score in other ways he's able to make other people better he, he's still such a contributor in so many different ways and the one thing i find really interesting carter so uh the Cavs pace overall they're averaging a hundred possessions up basically nine possessions their starting lineup the the garland mitchell Struce, mobley and allen the pace is 104.83 it's almost five possessions quicker than their overall pace and that's going to be something to keep an eye on right of how quickly do they play with Mobley or Allen as the lone big man but they're out there actually running with that lineup and that could be a way that you know you might be able to overcome the little bit that you give up in terms of spacing by having the two bigs out there by playing with a little more pace and the Mobley pushes have felt very good yeah, M Mobley, yeah, pushing after those defensive rebounds and initiating the break. Like, that's one of those ways where it all comes down to balance. When, when you talk about rotations and, and finding lineups, you're going to always give something up or, or gain something depending on the, the the combinations that you use. And if that's a lineup that plays with good pace, I think it's going to overcome maybe some of the limitations that you have with those two bigs. Again, I really, I, I, I agree with the the macro point you're making. I don't want to, I don't want to make this seem like it's in opposition to this. I just am but not you're, sure you're going to have spacing issues with that starting five. I just don't think there are spacing issues. 
I, I uh, don't I don't think there's going to be either. And like because they already had such a great offensive rating last year and the shot quality was so good last year, but I'm saying you're giving up spacing relative to the four out lineups, right? It's I like, understand. Yeah. Okay. Proceed. I just think the three I think it's it will struggle with spacing if they're three good shooters aren't shooting well. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, you could say the same thing about the Golden State Warriors starting lineup. Um, so like I, I don't I feel like the number that I am most interested in with the Cavs starting lineup is their defensive rating. Because mm-hmm. I think that that test of how well they defend with those five out there is kind of my number one bellwether for how high this team's ceiling is. It's probably my number one bellwether because if they can, if they are making it hard on the best offenses in the league with those five, then I trust that the offense will work mm-hmm. with the, with those five. And uh, as long as the players are, you know, are, are doing their jobs. But I think, there is no structural limitation to that to that five some offensively that they shouldn't be able to be a really really good offense in my opinion. Yeah, I I think you're right there. Um, it's funny to look at the Cavs' defensive rating this year. It's one hundred nine point nine. That's identical to theirs last year. Uh, it's just this year because scoring's down uh, to open out the season. They're eleventh in defensive rating, uh, whereas last year you know that was first. Um, Obviously, the the starting lineup in the small sample we've seen, but against two great offenses uh, when, when it comes to Indiana and Golden State, uh, for them to have a 100 uh, defensive rating is certainly encouraging. And, you know, you people will lament um, Mobley's, you know, not adding uh, a whole lot to his scoring arsenal uh, outside of, you know, the, the, the functional strength that he's added. Um but defensively, oh my God, he's still so good. The rebounding is so much better. The passing so much better. I, I'm just interested to see as he settles into the season and he's in a better context and he has the, the playmakers around him, what leaps he's able to take offensively when it comes to a finisher. And um, one of the things that I would like to see and, you know, having Jared Allen back is so helpful because it gives you that contrast. I do like when... There, there was a possession where Mitchell on the fast break caught Jared Allen and he passed him the ball and Allen didn't break stride. He caught it, brought it up high and, and dunked it quickly. Whereas with very Mobley, cool very frequently, he'll bring that ball down. Pump, he'll pump, 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 pump. He'll dribble. He'll wait for the guys to fly by. And Steph came swinging in when Allen was doing that to try to get the dribble. If Allen did put the ball down on the court and because Allen kept it high, guarded it, brought it over and just flushed it just that kind of uh, aggressiveness and the fluidity with which he attacks the rim is one of his biggest strengths and why he's one of the best finishers in the pick and roll in the NBA and why he is so devastating in these spots. And that's just a little something that Mobley can add to his game because he is such a fluid athlete. That's probably going to assist his finishing in those situations. You're absolutely right. Speaking of finishing, Joel Embiid just scored 29 points in the third quarter against uh, the Wizard on 10 of 10 shooting. Holy crap. Pray for our good buddy, Andrew Sharp, who I don't think he's uh, watching many games this season uh, when it comes to the Wizards. Him. He's a new dad. He can't. He doesn't need to make his life worth, worse on purpose. Yeah, but man, that's... Uh, that's no. ugly, man. God bless. God bless. <laughs> um, but yeah, it... It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I did a little bit of studies. And you know what, Carter? I do feel like we neglected our audience a little bit because this came up. Uh, after, actually, I, I got comments about it and I got an email about it after the OKC game where it was, last year you guys talked about, you know, shooting luck against the Cavs and it never corrected itself. And, and look, it, it's happening again. Are they secretly a bad defense? And Carter... We neglected to to follow up uh, when it came to that stuff because that was an annoying December January stretch where we had you know a couple outlier shooting games for this season. The Cavs were 16th in frequency last year in terms of wide open three points allowed and 17th in percentage. Remember they were number one in percentage. It went all the way down to 17th. That normalized. There actually was that regression. <laughs> and you you know the the thing that I think is important to to keep an eye on is how do they do suppressing those attempts? And and that's one of the things that I'm tracking early in this season because Indiana as an example, 
Uh, I, Indi- I'd like to note, I cannot believe you're burning all this research at the 55-minute mark of the podcast. Oh, we're going long, baby. We're going long. I, I cannot believe you are burning it this late. This is a great <laughs> I'm burning show. it. I'm, I'm burning the research this late. Uh, be- we, we just went de- deep on so many other things. But Indiana takes 29. When they're not playing the Cavs, they take 29 wide-open threes per game. Against the Cavs in the two games, it was only 19. 10 fewer than they normally take. Overall, in all of these matchups, the Cavs are actually allowing uh, five fewer wide-open three-point attempts than the the teams that they've played average in other matchups. Most of them, uh, it's all kind of normal. Like Overall, it's 41% allowed uh, for the Cavs on those looks. That's what those teams are shooting against the rest of the NBA. That's what they're shooting overall this season. It's 41% on those wide-open looks. Uh, it, it is funny uh, that, you know, the, the games where they actually allowed more than average, Warriors, uh, Warriors shot 50% on those looks. Um, and then the other one where, where that occurred... Um, Actually, that was the only one that that occurred as I'm looking at the data. But the only other outlier shooting game was OKC, where they shot 56% on those looks, even though they only took 18 attempts versus other teams, they take 22. So, you know, a little bit of an outlier shooting game, but it's already normalized over this small sample. It's normal. The Cavs allow fewer wide open looks versus other teams. There's nothing morally wrong that causes them, uh, causes opponents to drain some unnatural amount of shots against the Cavs. You're going to have good shooting luck. You're going to have bad shooting luck. It's just encouraging for the Cavs with this start. They're not having abnormally good three-point shooting luck uh, for their opponents, and they're not having good shooting luck individually. So there's nothing that looks unsustainable about the defense early on, and their offense looks like it's due for that positive regression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think I have much to add because you've you've laid it all out like, I think that it's it's a team that is not, you know, you saw this with the Knicks a couple years ago where they had the one of the best defenses in the league, and then you looked, and it's like, oh, just teams aren't making their shots against them. They're giving up a decent amount, and yep. they've just gotten lucky over the course of 82 games, and then Trey Young went and said, uh, here's your regression, uh, <laughs> and shot him right out of the playoffs. Oh, you're going um, to give me open looks. Yeah, th- this works yeah. for me. Yeah, so like I, I think again, this is why I know people feel like we are being excusey when we do that, and really, I think deep down, you just don't like the idea that luck is a factor mm-hmm. uh, in in basketball games. But um, I, I think this I think is where like being a hockey fan, um, you know, er, earlier in life, I've 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 cut back on it. But puck luck is just such a like accepted thing that you know it's a make or miss league. This this stuff happens and where you give up those attempts like last year the Cavs gave up a few too many corner threes like the the frequency was higher there so you expect a higher percentage uh you could all, I honestly probably argue that they got a little bit lucky that they were 17th uh in, in opponent makes on the year um but this year they're allowing fewer corner threes and like i said from a shot suppression standpoint the teams that they've played average 22 wide open looks with the defender not within six feet and against the Cavs, 17 per game, right? That's what you want to see. You want to see you, them suppressing those looks, making it harder for teams to, to get those shots or, and not allowing those stretches like OKC down the stretch where, yeah, it was unlucky, but they were walking into wide open looks, right? Or uh, Indiana, um, even though they only shot, you know, 41% against the Cavs from three, those wide open Miles Turner's looks where it's basically like a, a shooting gallery for him. He didn't have to work at all, and they made him work in the second half, and he was no longer effective in those spots. So I think that's what you're really trying to keep an eye on. Yeah, and I, I, I think most of the process stuff with the Cavs has been good so far this year. They just haven't been healthy, and they haven't been making their shots. So yep. ideally, once you know, one of those things seems to have resolved at least enough to get the guys on the floor, if not all the way. And if the shots start falling, then I really think we're going to start seeing, you know, we're, we're still Cavalanche free six yep. games in. Uh, I want to see, I want to see one of those Cavs are up six and whoa, the Cavs are up 23 uh, <laughs> stretches that we just haven't really gotten to see yet. But I, I do believe they're coming. Yeah. And, and you know what? These West Coast trips are always tough, but I feel pretty good about it. Like, Last year, that West Coast trip basically was the catalyst of that five-game losing streak, their longest losing streak of the year. 
Uh, obviously, you know, there was flu factors and all that, but that was a tough one where it starts off on a back-to-back. You had the time change that was part of it, and they played five road games in eight days. That's brutal, right? Like, that's going to take away your legs. You're traveling. You're not at home and all that. But this trip, you get two days off before the OKC game. You have another two days off after that, and really you're playing four games in eight days rather than that five with them all being spaced out, no back-to-backs. That's a really nice situation for the Cavs, and we'll see whether or not Shea Gilgis-Alexander is available for OKC. He was ruled out uh, a day early uh, from tonight's matchup, Um, so you have to imagine he's going to be at the very least questionable on Wednesday, but OKC is a good team. Like, even without shade, it took a Steph uh, game-winning shot uh, for, for the Warriors to win that matchup. So they're going to be ready. They're, they're going to give the Cavs a test. And then you you have two days off. You play the Warriors. And, you know, like if they can get the OKC game and then go, you know, th- like three and one on, on the rest of that stretch, uh, you, you got the game against Detroit when you get back home. Like you can turn this thing around. Like you can get back to like even that eight and six start that the Cavs had last year. It's not too hard to to kind of squint and see the Cavs matching that identical start again this season. Absolutely, buddy. It's going to be interesting. I think as we're getting uh, near the end of the pod, I do want to note that uh, this is where I must give the disclaimer, gang, uh, for that at Sacramento and at Portland game, Portland stretch. If you're finding yourself unseasonably frustrated, if they don't go well, just remember, you're staying up till two in the morning to watch west coast games you're probably tired take a nap see how you feel afterwards i'll bet you feel a lot better and the players probably feel about the same when it comes to their internal clocks especially after this time change that just sucks man like that's not a lot of fun you're you're telling me uh daylight savings justin i remember as as a young man let's you know this is adding another 15 minutes to the podcast let's go buddy as a young man, uh, you know you obviously hate the the spring forward because you lose an hour of sleep. You're you're bleary eyed, waking up for the bus. But everyone, everyone loves the the rollback because you get that extra hour of sleep. You feel like the world's in front of you, and then you have children, Justin, and and it's it's seven o'clock, and their body clocks are telling them it's eight o'clock. And it's a nightmare. You're trying to keep them awake on the back end. You're trying to get them to sleep in on the front end. It's a disaster. It's horrible. There's no winning here. (sighs) And they don't get it. You can't just be like, oh, it's actually just not. I know everything in your body is telling you you're exhausted and want to go to bed, but I have to arbitrarily keep you up so you don't wake up at 6 in the morning. It's hard work. Hard work, brother. There's so much you bring to the table when it comes to this podcast as a producer, as, you know, someone that I I just like the way you think. You also humble me and you make me realize just how ridiculous I am because I was about to complain, you know, as a Beagle owner, they really want their food and explaining that an hour later is very tough when you get those sad eyes. And a child is just so much more serious. You live such a more serious life than I do. Uh, in some ways, yes. <laughs> I won't. I can't. I can't sugarcoat it. I can't martyr myself. These are the choices I made. I'm quite fond of them, but uh, but in this in this one capacity, uh, you cannot relate. Though I will say, the dog does not wake me up in the morning for food. Mm. A lot of people's dogs do that. My dog does not. God bless you, Todd. Yeah, uh, Noni will sit over top of me and stare, and I feel her breathing on me. Won't bark sure. or anything, but just breathing. Occasionally, she wants she, you to know. She wants yeah. you to feel her presence. Uh, occasionally, she will drag her belly across my face, and, and that's just gross because that's, she she has violence. Yeah, well, she's got alopecia on her belly too, so it's bald Ew. and gross and sweaty. It's Ew. Just, yeah, it's just it's no it's she, gross. She's I, a, I'm. I'm grossed out. You even told that. That's yeah. this foul. No, it's it's a disgusting dog. It's a disgusting dog. I have. God I, bless her, Carter. I'm I'm gonna peel back the curtain a little bit here. Jesus Twenty minutes Christ. ago, you messaged me. Should we wrap? And I apologize. I had things to talk about. I I am excited about Cavs basketball. I'm just a little. I'm a, I've got the double uh, whammy of 
uh, as noted, uh, daylight savings time adjustments, and I took a red eye a couple nights ago, and I'm still recovering. That's fair. You know, <laughs> it's, again, you are more but I'm serious. happy. I'm fine. You We're are, hanging. You are a more if serious I, person than I am. If, if I was that fried, I wouldn't have done the daylight savings time ref. So, you know. That's true. It's very, very I, true. You you are a more serious person than I I'm am. I'm in a glass and hopefully house. hopefully the Cavs will have a serious performance on the, this West Coast trip and, you know, alleviate any of those lingering concerns. Let's let's get a few more feel-good wins in our back pocket and get this season properly started because I feel like we got robbed with this false start. Big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. We really do appreciate you guys. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of the review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.